All right, guys. Hey, this is CSA. I'm Angie. I'm Caroline. And I'm Carrie. I am filling in for Jess today. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Carrie is one of our extraordinary executive producers. Um, mm -hmm. She also happens to be our resident New Yorker. So she is our insider yep. in Long Island, working yeah. the streets. Working the streets. <laughs> Giving us intel. Not That's like the that. second like reference no, now. Like, Ear to the streets. Let me rephrase. Ear to the streets. Working you don't need to. No, you need things. to. She doesn't do that. In fact, she's also another healthcare hero. Homegirl is on the front line. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! <sighs> not not today, thankfully. Yeah, yeah today, today's a relaxed day. Today's a chill. <laughs> All right, so yeah. we are here to bring you guys episode 111. You can run. Dot, dot, dot. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, I have to say the ellipses. Come on. Mm -hmm. um, it's written by Elizabeth Peterson and Jeremy Powell, a duo. Um, honestly, I just immediately went to Powell. I was like, uh, and directed by Marisol Adler, who was um, a newbie as well. Powell, I believe, right? Powell was the first writing credit for, for him. Yes? Yes, correct. And also the first directing credit for um, Ms. Adler for us, uh, both yeah. of which officially love you two to death. So, hey, mm -hmm. all, three. all right, so let's hit it. Um, from the millisecond this episode starts, I know me, I know Carrie immediately just because oh, Mad World hit and that was all she wrote. Um, that piano cue is something, something that you cannot unhear once you've heard it before and it hits you in the feels. So as soon as that happened, I knew, okay, this episode's about to slap me right in the feels a couple times. It's a cover or a remix. I don't know if you can really call it a cover if it still has the original singer, but it's definitely like a remix of the song, very slow, very mellow ballady by Michael Andrews. And then we still have the original singer, Gary Jules from Tears for Fears, um, singing it, which is amazing. A lot of 80s folks out there. <laughs> um, so other than the melody being psychotic in a, the greatest of ways, um, this is definitely a song where the lyrics hit Malcolm Bright's life right square in the face. Um, the, the ones that hit me as most prominent are definitely, I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I mean, that's literally him on like a frequent, frequent basis. Um, and it just, the way it bookends the episode is really cool as well. But um, Carrie's going to go into that a little bit. So talk about this yeah. episode, Carrie. Yeah, so this opening scene, I love this opening scene with these two, um, these two little kids. I love these actors. Uh, I, I believe Kason Wilson and Juliana Lane, I believe, are the two little kids um, who do such a great job of being the little Whitleys, little Malcolm and little Ansley. Um, this is, it's kind of a short scene, but there's a lot happening in this scene. And there's a lot of foreshadowing about what's to come in this episode and I love what's going on there and the parallels. So basically we see them playing together, little Malcolm, little Ainsley, and they each have a little figure. So Malcolm has a Batman, right? And I'm pretty sure, and it's a little blurry and it's a little quick, but I'm pretty sure Ainsley has a Joker. Yeah, I saw that. So that's interesting. Um, so Joker basically in the Batman realm is arch nemesis to Batman. I thought that was an interesting little touch and I don't think that was a mistake or a coincidence. Our writers are pretty much on the ball about these things. And I'm sure you know they make these choices for a reason. 
And so a couple of things I just want to hit with this opening scene, basically, first of all, Ainsley, and you know, you have the sibling dynamic and there's always a little bit of competition going on between the two of them. And when Martin comes in and Ainsley is basically doing that fake crying, which we've seen kids do, you know, or especially little girls do that little, oh no, fake crying thing. And, but in this case, that foreshadows a little bit of what happens later in the episode. So that was one thing that I wanted to kind of hit on. The second thing was the fact that Malcolm had a Batman. I thought that was kind of interesting because why not Hulk? Why not Aquaman? Why not Superman? Um, basically, Martin gave him a Batman. And if you think a little bit about the Batman universe, especially Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne comes from a rich family. His parents died when he was around nine or 10 years old. Um, so he has this traumatic childhood, Batman. And his childhood trauma basically is what he becomes as a superhero. Mm -hmm. So as, as Bruce Wayne transitions to Batman, we see what kind of person he becomes and what kind of superhero it becomes. And very different from the um, Superman universe or anything like that, mm -hmm. because he's a little bit of, um, he's a little bit of a risk taker. He's a bit antisocial. He's a bit reckless. And yeah, who does that, who does that sound like? We parallel. Exactly. Who does that sound like? So I don't think this is a coincidence that um, that they chose Batman for little Malcolm, because for, for me, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is something that touches on a little bit later in the episode, which we'll talk about um, when we see the same figurine again and we see the same music cue. Mm -hmm. But um, we'll talk about that when we get to that, that point. Yeah. But um, I love this opening scene. You gotta love a good superhero metaphor. She says yes. in her Loki shirt today oh. <laughs> for the episode. Very on the nose. Yep. <laughs> um, so to continue off that, the first thing I went to when I saw little Batman was, holy crap, my brother has that figure. Um, we were raised in like the 90s era Fox Saturday morning cartoons. That particular Batman was the new Adventures of Batman, which that along with the reboot of the X-Men cartoon was like the Saturday morning Fox lineup. Like if you were a little kid, that's what you were doing while you were eating your, your cereal in the morning. Um, it was hugely popular, massive amount of, of like, um, action figures and toys i mean it was the thing to watch and so it made me super happy to see that the that particular action figure was one that he popped up because like yes i think my brother literally still has it like it's like one of those things that he took with him from childhood it happens to have a cape that snaps on and off just so you know <laughs> <laughs> um immediately following that at 129 i love the halo lighting similar to our Gorgeous gal, Caroline here. Um, she, every time I have a halo moment, it happens to be a moment where like the sun is just giving her this glow. Literally. Um, Malcolm gets this gorgeous halo lighting as he's sitting in the cell yeah. and he's asking Martin like, where are you? Talk to me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the only other time there's been halo lighting in that cell was on Martin. And it was kind of very sarcastic halo lighting where Martin was doing this like, I've done so much to save people. And they give him like the, oh, you know background just to be 
um, so sarcastic and, and rude, essentially. Um, but to see Malcolm have it, like, that's very different. That's very much like this is our protagonist, this is our hero, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and I just, I love a good, Halo lighting is gorgeous. I love it. I, I know our show gets a lot, and kind of deservedly, a lot of crap for the lighting in terms of it's typically <laughs> incredibly dark but darned if they don't set up an amazing special lighting situation when it comes to like through the slats of a closet or anytime Malcolm's got a flashlight and it does the starburst into the camera lens you know they do that stuff great we just need a little bit more lighting on the regular set. I also think that it's kind of interesting how Previously, we had seen that kind of lighting on Martin in the cell, and now it's on Malcolm, because immediately after that, um, as I'm sure you're going to get into, Angie, we meet the U.S. Marshal, who finds out that Malcolm is Martin's son. So there's just kind of, and that sort of becomes a little bit of a theme, like her opinions on him being the son of a serial killer mm -hmm. later in the episode. So I thought that was Absolutely. kind of cool in hindsight. Yeah, so with that intro, thank you very much. <laughs> At a minute 50, we do get introduced to Marshall uh, Ruiz, who is played by April Hernandez Castillo. She's kind of a very well-known Latinx actress. Um, and like she's been in a lot of, of stuff. Like this is not her first rodeo by any means. Um, this is also a way for them to explain and to do accurately, thank God, that the marshals have jurisdiction in a fugitive case. It does not matter where it happens. It does not matter like... FBI, CIA, NYPD, gone. Like the, if they allow them permission to be there, that's fine. But that's literally fugitives and ill-gotten gains. That is what the marshals handle. Um, so they kind of have to do the like, oh, we have jurisdiction to explain to the audience that they have jurisdiction. Because of course, Malcolm and Gil would know that. That's not news to any of them. Um, and I also love that, just as Caroline said, like the way she kind of pulls the joke. They're like, oh my God, your father's that. And then just starts cracking up. Um, because like Caroline said to me, like she starts off being like, oh, this is great. This is a perfect addition. You're going to figure it out. And then as the episode goes on, she kind of starts to rue the fact that that Malcolm is indeed related to the surgeon. So mm -hmm. she, she shifts a little bit. I still got to say, I like her. I like the character. She yeah. did what she needed to do. Even if she mm -hmm. got a little mouthy with Bright, whatever. She's doing her job. Yeah. I love the short girl energy, you know? Oh my God. Short girl. Okay. So I looked it up. Homegirl is five, two. Oh, same. Okay. Pretty much. You know? And I, I looked it up because all I could think of in one of the following scenes in the precinct is she's standing next to Tom and she's that tiny. Because <laughs> I know in my head, Tom's 5'7 on a good day, like mm -hmm. on a real good day. Um, so if she's already, I'm like, okay, sis is, is tiny, but she brings a lot of, a lot of gusto and oh, so oh, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate mm -hmm. it very much. I was curious on why they cut off the voicemail. Like, did you guys notice this? Yes. They cut off the voicemail before we're the same and that only you can find me. Now that could literally be for time. Like we don't have time to go through this entire thing right here. It's not the end of the world. Or is that supposed to be like a deliberate thing where Malcolm like stops it before it gets to that point that maybe she would change her mind about allowing him to take part? Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea and we're never gonna know. So, but I was just very curious as to if that was deliberate or just the yeah, time see, I felt like thing. it was intentional yeah mm -hmm. it yeah. seemed intentional to me like okay. he didn't want anyone to hear that maybe not even Gil and then you would also think like he would have had to hit stop so at what point does like they're all watching it right there on the phone so at what point <laughs> do they go excuse me 
if not done, <laughs> like, hello, <laughs> we may need to hear some more of that. Um, yep. So yeah, who knows? At 4.56, I absolutely lost it. I'm not kidding you. I but like huh, laughed when they called the Whitley Mansion a townhouse. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. But in Ohio, if you're renting a townhouse, it's like a one to two bedroom with one bath and it's in a complex of a shit ton of them and they're all connected to each other. Like to call that house a townhouse just absolutely cracks me up. I'm sure there's some literal definition of, oh, an NYC townhouse is really a bazillion dollar home. But for me, all I could picture was like the really crappy Ohio apartment complexes where they call them townhomes. And I just went, no, nope, nope, no way. At 529, it's the first time we see Capshaw since everything went down. And honestly, here's what I wrote in my notes. It's impossible to watch her objectively now that I've seen the ending of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's so hard to go back and go, I wonder, now that I have seen that reveal. It might be the hardest time so far this year that I've had to pretend I don't know the ending while rewriting something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I'm just watching every single one of her little ticks. I'm like, ah, you went, uh, Mm -hmm. I knew something sketchy was occurring. Mm -hmm. Especially because, like, I'll be honest, I believed her uh, initially that she was totally, like, out of the loop with all of this. So I thought, like, oh, this is kind of nice. And as we see later, like, her and Jessica kind of, like, bond over it. Like, I thought, oh, this is kind of nice. This is a good reflection of, you know, the people that, the son, the people that are left behind when serial killers just tear through their lives and then disappear. Like this is, I, I like this point, you know, because usually we only, we tend to only generalize it as being through Malcolm's eyes when it really, there is a lot of collateral in what Martin's done. So initially I was like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Like I feel, I actually feel sorry for her. Now yeah, it's sure like, Jess you didn't suck. really seek out other victim wives of serial killers. Like that probably no. would have really helped her. Yes. But I'm sure for her, it was, this is my shame. And this is my, I, I cannot go find these people. So it would have been like the one person she could be like, you want to just sit and bitch about this guy for like yeah. an hour yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. Like, right. yeah. have a trick. <laughs> We've all been scored by him, but yeah. Yeah. Um, in this same scene, I absolutely adore Malcolm just straight up. You're lying on a third grade level. Like, he's like, I don't have a bedside manner right now. Like, we just, let's go. Tell me what you're hiding. Let's move along. Um, But then Malcolm has very much like a sensitivity for females specifically that have been scorned by Martin, if you notice. Um, He very much is protective of his mother. He's still very much like incredibly protective of Ainsley. Even by the end of the episode, after all, at this point, all she has done he still is very much like it's gonna be okay i'm gonna fix it blah 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 and so now like capshaw kind of gets put under that umbrella of like more women my dad has hurt blah 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 sophie my god the obsession with sophie for so long Mm -hmm. um and so he very much like immediately flips the script and like hey listen it's my dad's fault not yours and he's trying to make her feel better at the end he's there trying to come see her um because there's no other reason for him to show up at claremont again Mm -hmm. and it's just so again it's going to be another like burned by someone you thought was doing right by a country song um <laughs> from album <laughs> like he needs a like yeah another person screwed me over today <laughs> 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 
Um, so at 749, which is still this scene with Capshaw, this is the first of multiple times Carrie hit on it that we have some <laughs> some crocodile tears being shed by our different characters. Yep. Um, Capshaw's the first. So she's doing the like, oh, I'm spent. <laughs> He's in the trunk of my car. Um, like, I still I can't objectively watch it anymore. I'm like, she's playing this whole thing and he's sitting in the truck of a freaking vehicle outside. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so that's the first of these like pity me tears and this whole thing that goes down and we'll touch on that more later. <laughs> at 8.11, we have Ainsley at Claremont's and it's when she's kind of going through this whole, you know, like, oh, dad's gone. I'm, I'm feeling weird about it. And even Malcolm immediately is like, why? every other time this has been ratings and like why why are we concerned now and i really think at this point i mean i guess we don't have official word i think ainsley was fully aware of what was going to happen that's just my personal headcanon i have no proof of it whatsoever because i don't think this scene was about how are you where's dad it's where's dad have they caught him mm. like that she's privy to the situation and she's trying to get intel under the guise of journalist slash sister right um is it me or was andy like really dressed down like usually she looks too. she looks really she had, like, put a together sweater and, yeah she looked <laughs> yeah. she had like ill-fitting clothes on and she just didn't look like and it's funny if you look at malcolm he kind of eyes her he's like what are you wearing yeah. you know just for a split <laughs> second you know because she doesn't look like herself she looks a little not messy but she just looks a little bit out of sorts to me which yeah. is something i hit on when we get to the part where she's getting interrogated because she literally looks like what like juvenile prisoners or so look like when they get just like the hoodies or mm -hmm. not hoodies the sweatshirts and the yeah. pants like she looks like she's sitting there like a baggy prison sweatshirt but it's not yeah. by any means um so it, it kind of was like hmm interesting in this scene she calls him Columbo. so for those of you that may not be old enough to understand <laughs> some of us remember and know what the heck Columbo is high five carrie uh, so if it feels so left out friends, yeah <laughs> I know you didn't get the freaking Miami, uh, Miami Vice one either, Carol. No, no. Oh my God. <laughs> so Columbo was one of the original kind of crime dramas in the 70s. It ran from 71 to 78 and it follows. Um, it wasn't quite so dramatic. It was a little bit more cheesy like the earliest crime dramas <laughs> were. It wasn't, is he going to catch them? It's like, how's he going to figure it out kind of thing. It was almost a guarantee every week that the bad guy's getting caught. Um, my biggest connection to this is the fact that Columbo was played by Peter Falk. Peter Falk happens to be the grandpa in Princess Bride, my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> so I know him through that because he's a very important character in the Princess Bride. But yeah, so there's that reference for you youngsters that might not know what the heck they were talking about. <laughs> this has been, you're too young. <laughs> At 828, Malcolm tells Ainsley he's fine. Same song, same dance, blah, blah, blah. He has at least admitted to JT in private conversation. When I say I'm fine, I'm always lying. That most of the time when I say this, I'm not. But other than that little admission, he has never actually stated I'm not okay, except for the one millisecond when, when Gil gets it out of him in season one. Most of the time, it's I'm fine, and inside it's just a chaotic dumpster fire in his brain. <laughs> um, that will change later, but, you know, we'll get to that when we get there. I also wonder if it's just like him, again, an example of him being an older brother and saying like, mm -hmm. I'm fine. You don't need to worry about me. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not a problem. I will help fix the problem. That kind of sort of like a 
protective, like protecting her by, you know, hiding his true emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the minute Martin rolled out, he was the man of the house at 10, 11, whatever they're going to claim he was at that point. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure a little part of him from that point on was very much like, I have to protect my mom. I have to protect my sister. I'm the man of the house. And so I'm sure that's him like, it's good. You're fine. Go away. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Which makes it all the more important when he actually tells someone else that you're there. <laughs> at 9:26, so we are um by the river we're with the ambulance all that stuff is going down and i i truly appreciate the fact that gill is trying to be compassionate to malcolm in this scene but we still just like the pilot have danny and jt going wait 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 like they're still gonna question their friends or more than friends depending on which one we're talking about but like, they're still like, we're not just giving him a pass all because he's our buddy. And he's one of our, like, this looks sketchy. And JT is mm -hmm. going to call it out. Even Danny questions it. And I like that uh -huh. yeah. because you need that voice of reason in the group. Even when things are like, oh my God, poor Malcolm. Okay. But listen, are you really being objective here? Uh -huh. um, and, and I just love that. We need that. And that just like last week where I really appreciated that Danny didn't back down when she had a side of the argument and neither did he just because they're flirty. Like, I'm going to stand up for what I think. Mm -hmm. um, I like that now. Like, okay, yeah, we may be flirty, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to question your decision-making if it comes to a case. So I mm -hmm. like that a lot. I also adore this sound effect that they added as Malcolm is getting more and more pissed at JT. There is, if you go back to this, <laughs> in this scene, as JT is like, okay, well, are you sure this isn't you making up a bunch of crap because, you know, you're trying to cover it for your dad. And as JT is talking, you literally hear this like rumble. And it starts off low and it, and then he's like, maybe on the profile. Like he yelled, like it's him building. Or you're just using fancy words to make excuses for a murderer. I'm just following the profile. It's oh, really wow. cool. It's a really neat sound effect. It's like almost him as the bottle shaking until it explodes. Damn. So it was, it was just a really short, really cool. But I was like, you don't see Malcolm when JT is saying it, but you can feel him through that sound effect. You're like, oh, he's pissed even though he's not on screen. So it's really cool. Can I just ask, I know that we're going to get into this, but can I ask, does it happen at another point in this episode when he gets pissed? Not if you're talking about the bowling alley. Yeah. Because I looked for it. Yes. Okay. No. He was too busy being super angry boy at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> good, good thought though. Good thought yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> um, at 1045, we have had the realization that like, holy crap, he's come to my house. He's probably robbed the crap out of my loft. And they show up and I absolutely, for some strange reason, just got all the feels at the admission of this was Martin and Jessica's apartment. Yeah. Prior to Malcolm. Oh. And you know, like, I love the character of Martin in the sense that he is diabolically perfect and well played by Michael Sheen. Not a fan of him in terms of like, oh, he's so cuddly and cute. Um, but he's great for what we need him to be in my opinion but that hit me I was like oh my gosh like this is where they were before their family started and they got the townhouse <laughs> and that was such a big upgrade from what they had already um, and I don't know like for some reason from the pilot on I just assumed it was a building his mom owned there was a nice loft in it and so when he came back from the FBI oh hey well you'll live here I didn't realize it was that kind of a connection to mm -hmm. Jeff. Actually, the first thing that threatened came to up, make it a Panera. She threatened to make her thing a Panera. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that line, by the way. No, the first thing I thought when they walked in there was like, "Where's Sunshine? Is he okay?" Yeah, that was my thought too. What happened to the Sunshine Squad? <laughs> no. The whole the fandom was same thing. But wait, 
Is sunshine okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is a moment where just like the last scene where it was Danny and JT kind of calling out Malcolm, Gil had a moment where he did, where he was like, did you want him to come into your house? And he had that, like, maybe I would fortify my apartment a little better. And then he's like, okay, chill. Clearly he was not trying to, obviously. Um, but it, it, again, it's nice that even though these people all have this connection to him, they still, they have to be professionals in their job. And he's very close to this. So I like that they're taking moments here and there to really check him and be like, hmm. Mm -hmm. And then to, okay. And then you have a millisecond of like, obviously he didn't want all of his priceless items to be stolen. I still want to know what they're doing with the ax. If we don't see Martin with the ax at some point, what the hell was the point of mentioning it? I just want to know. Like he needs to secretly be in the trunk just with his little battle ax. I don't know, but I guess it would be, it would be Hector and, and Pete would have had it. Right. So hopefully maybe they recovered it somewhere. I mean, it we seems still... like Martin obviously never made it into the apartment. Yeah. Only Hector and Pete did. Mm -hmm. We also still need to figure out as we find out later in these, in the series, there's a new serial killer called the Woodsman. And so I'm just a little bit curious if the axe might have anything to do with <laughs> just saying woodsman axe related ish not Let's i'm really out. annoyed because with the exception of the ainsley reveal at the end of last season i was getting a pretty good feel of maybe how this arc could end by the second to last episode yeah. i got nothing no. like other than yeah. the misery reference i'm gonna make later i got nothing <laughs> like full-on nothing um I also wrote that this point, like, so they have this cut to commercial. So you have like your first act is over in the, in the episode right now. That was the point where I kind of realized like, this is why we didn't get any previews for this. Like yeah. any, um, sorry, like promo clips, like the extra mm -hmm. little clips they usually give out the day before. Like the entire episode is balls to the wall from the get go. Like what part were they going to show us that wasn't some yeah. massive spoiler or something? And so I was ready because I was already hyped from the last episode. Like, yeah. And so by the end of this one, I was like, let's go. Like I was like ready to go play a basketball game or do something, you know? <laughs> it's like giving me flashbacks to the old days. At 11.10, we have what I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is the first time Malcolm addresses the entire bullpen as like the, the HBIC, if you will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's the first time that he has like just a bullpen full of people and it's mm -hmm. like, all right, guys, here's what we're doing. Blah, blah, blah. I think Gil and or Colette were the only Colette. other people to do that yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. prior to. Um, so I was like, I was like, look at you, get it, you get a boy, you know, <laughs> unfortunately it comes to the fact that, you know, we're looking for a serial killer father that escaped, but whatever, mm -hmm. it's fine. Um, I love that Danny clocks his tremors, just like Gil has already. That's something that is relevant. It really is. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll get to that later. Um, and I love that we see him. He's losing his cool with a lot of people. So it's not yep. just the people close to him. Yeah. Mr. Marshall Mick questions was causing some problems back there too. <laughs> and then at 12.07, we get the discussion between Danny and Malcolm. So a little part of me, I know this is such a stupid superficial thing. I love that we got like a different door from the precinct. That's yeah. such a stupid production mind thing. But I was like, ooh, a side door. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. the front steps. I was yeah. excited. Because in my brain, I'm already clocking things for fiction and other stuff I do. Like, okay, there's a side door that leads down a row. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was nice. And I love that immediately. So she says, he says, Danny. And she's like, don't. Like she is not here for him doing his typical business. And then he just, I'm not fine. 
and I melted yep. into a marshmallow. Mm-hmm. We all did. <laughs> Regardless of Brightwell feels that admission, even in a platonic way, is a huge deal because it is the first time. And even Danny's just like, oh shit. <laughs> um, Hugh Hamilton. Oh shit. Yeah, like, oh shit. Yeah. Um, so he finally admitted that to her. And in this moment, we have a reprise of the same little theme that I'm just going to officially call the Brightwell theme because Nathaniel Bloom throws it in there every damn time they're together. And I love you, Nathaniel Bloom. Bravo. Bravo. Um, It was originally, the original title on the score score soundtrack is What Would Freud Say? That's what the title is. I call it the Drink More Tea with Friends song because that's from that scene with the two of them. Um, and he, so every time it's not an exact replica, it's got like the same melody and the same sound, but there's a little bit different here and there, depending off if it gets darker by the time they're done talking or whatever. Um, but it's kind of the, I think, de facto official Brightwell theme at this point. He's going to yeah. use it. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recognize those piano keystrokes now. Oh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a music buff by any means, but I hear it and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. That's how you know, because it opens with this like little like, do, do, and I'm like, oh, my God, okay, it's happening. And then the piano hits. It's like sound effects at first. And I'm like, okay, we're getting intense. We mm-hmm. opened with this noise. <laughs> and I love that Danny says, stick with me and we'll figure it out. <laughs> just go, Caro, just go. I can't, you do it. I just... <laughs> So actually, as I was rewatching this, um, and then going around on my getting my getting caught up on Twitter <laughs> the next day when I'm taking breaks at work, um, shout out to one of my Twitter friends, Stina, who is at Mina M E N A T T O B E. I'm just gonna spell it out. She like <laughs> tweeted a picture of Malcolm's face during the scene as he's looking at Danny, and she put the caption. Can we talk about how Malcolm is forever surprised by how deeply Danny cares about him? And that just like hit me. Cause his face, like I'm I'm gonna have to go find the tweet somewhere, but his face Brit will get it. is just yeah, no, Brit go go Brit knows what to do. Brit, go find this. His face is just so he genuinely does look surprised and also so deeply touched by the fact that he was vulnerable to her. And then she responded by saying, all right, I'm also going to be super vulnerable and I'm going to like protect you. Like I got your back. It's going to be okay. And I just, it makes me realize like he really has not had that in his life. And, and it, just, we're not just talking Brightwell, like platonically. Yes, exactly. He has not had that. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one has really, I mean, Gil has been obviously a great influence on his life throughout, you know, ever since mm-hmm. what happened with Martin, but in some ways, I just like putting myself in Malcolm's shoes. I could almost see, you know, Gil saying something like this to Malcolm as like, well, of course, that's what you're going to say. You're like my dad, but you it's to totally different when, <laughs> you know, someone like Danny says that who, you know, obviously has an attachment to him and is his, his friend. Um, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, wink. <laughs> but also like she could, she could easily just pull away and peace out and, you know, just whatever but she stays and cares about him and i care about them and i just makes me emotional (laughs) you're right though because literally gil is so invested at this point that he he can't walk away yeah like he is essentially stepdad gil like let's Mm -hmm. be truthful and maybe even better than the original dad gil exactly Um, so (laughs) at this point he doesn't get the option of walking away 
Mm-hmm. As Danny very well could. Like if she got sick of his shit, like, look, we're not connected. Peace. We're going to yeah. work together. Mm-hmm. And then you mind your business. I'm going to do my thing. I've had enough of your shit. Yeah. And honestly, there's been enough go on and like crazy stuff he's done on the job and things like that, where she could have very well done that yeah. already. Absolutely. And instead she's there and mm-hmm. she stays. And that means yeah. something to him. Absolutely. Even in yeah. a platonic, non-relationshipy role, that's yes. a big deal to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. At 1540, I just wrote breaking news. Malcolm doesn't listen to the stay here command well. (laughs) Have we not learned something (laughs) in the time we have known Malcolm Bright, Danny? I love you. You're my girl. However, when has sit boy ever worked for Malcolm? The world's most untrainable dog, this man. (laughs) I mean, he, he is a golden doodle with ADHD. God bless him. He like, he is just... Oh, he's my brother-in-law's dog. God bless him. Charlie is just the absolute, oh, he's a, I can't. He's just the <laughs> stupidest dog, but I love him to death. And that's Malcolm. Like, well, who has ever told Malcolm, don't do this, and then walked away and expected him to be back mm-hmm. yeah. when they said it. It's just, Bless. she needs a child leash for him to yeah he needs one of those like little monkey book bags yes. that yes. and burp, like you pull him backwards <laughs> you need to like lock him up with like a bike lock <laughs> he like walks toward the cotton candy you just jerk him back no no twizzlers no she should honestly she i'm assuming she carries handcuffs she should just handcuff him to a telephone pole and be like stay i mean it <laughs> i seem to remember a- yep story about him trying to run off and her mm. handcuffing Mm-mm. Mm-mm. moving on moving Mm-mm. on at 1611 we have holy crap my favorite well mad mad world was my favorite song cue but my favorite um score cue of this entire thing is is friar pete's theme oh it is yep. creepy a f nathaniel bloom shocker you're amazing we know good job high five <laughs> um like it starts off with this like piano organ blend that is super super creepy which fryer much you got to have an organ Mm -hmm. right if you're the fryer we have screeching horror movie strings that happen there's the for whom the bell tolls gong at the beginning and then the creepiest part these giant like timpani drums like bum 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 yeah and then like little very creepy like whispered puffy noises coming out of someone's mouth it's just like the back of your neck you can feel the killer right behind you kind mm-hmm. of stuff um and i mean i could go on for a hundred years about how much i love christian borrell and how well he played this part um i love that he drank only wine did anyone else notice this yeah mm-hmm. only wine bottles the friar only drank the sacramental wine uh, he not drink the beer. Yeah. <laughs> Bowling alley wine, no less. Yeah, yeah. Bowling alley, yeah, that definitely ain't Sacramento. Like that's like bottom <laughs> shelf, you know, two buck chuck at Trader Joe's. Yep, he definitely pulled it out from the bottom and was just like in the name of the Father and the Son. And- <laughs> yeah, literally, like he's like, and somewhere he got like you know some bar peanuts to play the the host. You know, Catholic <laughs> joke. I get it. Okay, so I did have a question in the scene. I already mentioned it to you guys, being the Broadway nerd I am. At 1755, I'm really intrigued at how many times he did that scream. Oh, yeah. And because in his interview he did later that Carrie found for us, that scream was not originally in the script. 
So he was supposed to just be like, he wasn't mad. He was furious and then drink more. Like he's really angry. Mm -hmm. And so instead he was like, can I just do this once and see how it is? And the director's like, oh yes, that's it. (laughs) So then I'm sure he had to do it like multiple other times. And I'm wondering if the two time Tony winner was like, but hang on, I, my voice, please don't do this to me. Um, So I wonder if later he was regretting it. Like son of a bitch, I've really made a bad decision here. I should not have done this. I should hope so. I hope that he regretted it. (laughs) Those are precious pipes. Like those yes. are award yes, are. Mm-hmm. pipes. Keep them yeah. safe. Mm-hmm. We went on an entire like share Christian Borel belting moments feed on Discord the other day. It was like, listen to him hit this note. And you're like, this is amazing. Yep. At 1019, I, I had to say this since I did it in Discord. I was like, it was at this point that I felt my target down is Friar Pete theory may be busted. <laughs> since his head is blown across three lanes of the bowling alley i believe i might have been wrong in that particular aspect (laughs) um also said in that interview that he got horrible neck pain from from filming that scene over and over and over yeah like he did the whip multiple Mm -hmm. times and then had to land on the bag over and over and so he was like it was fun. It was totally cool because I don't get to do that stuff on Broadway frequently. So, yeah. um, but still, he's like, my neck was like killing me. Well, I'll tell you, the horror movie fan in me loved how graphic that was. Yes. Yeah, yep. I, I was about to. I was about to say. I was very impressed. I was like, uh, whoa! Like, mm-hmm. it was really graphic. Mm-hmm. Usually, it was in, at that point where, for me, like, it didn't gross me out, but it was it got the shock value I needed. Like, yes. all like, oh, day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I have a feeling based on, you know, like blood drops in the woods and other things. I think we might get more and more and the misery references we're going to have next. Like we started with rear window last episode, which is Hitchcock, which is horror, but not like psychologically disgusting horror. And now we moved into this episode, which is, and then we're going to have misery. Like, I feel like we're building into some pretty serious horror motifs mm-hmm. as we continue on. I am all for this. And some of them I can actually get and reference. Definitely. I know. I'm very impressed. um at 1910 i'm sorry i love this scene and i may have a baby salt box about it in a minute but i love me some feral malcolm at ruiz i love it i love it because here's the thing you have to understand that in this moment like he is not in his right mind quite frankly no he shouldn't be working this case he has to for the sake of our show but in any other scenario even though he's like the surgeon like he would be sitting behind a desk feeding them intel about what his father would do he would in no way be out there on the front line interrogating people for something like this to happen that would never happen i appreciate that we need it for the show but and he's he's struggling this whole episode Mm -hmm. the entire theme is him struggling with being malcolm whitley or being malcolm bright um and for him later we hit that like he very much has the daddy my daddy Mm -hmm moment um and so he needs to know he's trying to find his father before anyone else does because he knows the percentages and he knows what's going to happen um so yes he was pissed now some people jumped on this whole like he pushed daddy and i swear to god i've said it for three episodes i'm sick i am so sick Mm -hmm. this him and danny are abusing each other bullshit no they're not okay i have been in a situation where i was up in arms and angry and one of my friends was like dude let's go and i did the whole like get off like i wasn't going at them i wasn't pushing them away i was just like don't touch me i don't want to be touched right now leave me alone that's what he did he did not shove danny chill out watch it in slow-mo i did for other reasons but that's fine (laughs) (laughs) like 
it, like he is not abusing her. And in fact, she was being an amazing friend by being like, let's go get out. This mm-hmm. is not the place for you to be right now. She stepped up and did the right thing, yep. but he didn't abuse her. Blah, blah, effity, blah. He did not abuse her for God's sakes. I'm done. I'm yeah. Done. He, he was, he was definitely being childish. Yeah, like, and that's, that's oh, just, yeah. yeah, he's not in his right mind. He's acting like a little kid and that, that kind of like behavior pisses me off because I don't like it for many reasons. So whenever anyone even like tries to do that to me, I'm like, stop, like <laughs> snap fingers, cut it out. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I can understand that he, he is not himself period in the entirety of this episode. And that if he, if Danny had not removed him from that situation, he probably could have gotten himself in even more big trouble and probably would have had to sit this out. Uh-huh. So yeah, she would have booted him for sure. She was this close to doing it yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So if anything, he's really lucky that Danny ended it where she did uh-huh. and that she like let him start to run his mouth at her a little bit. Like, uh-huh. don't even try this with me, bitch. But then she was like, all right, you had your, you had your five seconds. We're done. Go home, <laughs> you know, sit in time out. <laughs> So, go to your room, Malcolm. Yeah, go to your room. <laughs> I, would like to call, I would like to call a massive BS on this scene. Ain't no way in hell they were walking up and down the effing bowling lanes <laughs> like it was a freaking grassy knoll. No way. I have bowled and stepped that far over the line and almost wiped out and gone down the whole freaking alley. Yeah. Does not happen. They walked across six of them to get to Malcolm. Malcolm was running backwards, totally fine. Pete's going down the aisle straight, no big deal. And then Malcolm huffs off. Nope, nope, and nope. Hey, yeah. maybe we have some good outtakes from that. Oh, oh I'd like, love it. Thing, I hashtag blooper reel. Yeah. Like we can't have Tom Payne in a concussion protocol because he slipped backwards on it doing something. I guess, <laughs> but bull, because those lanes are death traps, dude your other foot could still be on solid ground and you're gone like game mm-hmm. over it does not matter yeah those those gucci shoes don't have any traction my man i'm sorry <laughs> you know you know for sure yeah nothing going on he would have been like, like yep the way gone <laughs> at 2058 we have um the alias which i think caro is going to go into a little bit so martin takes on an alias at this bank we learn what the key now goes to, it goes to a deposit uh-huh. box at a bank under uh-huh. the name, Miss Kara. Yeah, under the name of Jonas Salk, who is as, I'm very shocked that Jessica pointed this out. I wrote that too. She's, a smart, she she's that. a smart woman. She's mine. Yes, no, she is one. Yes, she is a smart woman and we should say it. But also two, it almost makes me feel like this is something that Martin has like over the course of their relationship at some point mm-hmm. mentioned to her I am just knowing how he loves to run his mouth with like the that's not that's not how cancer actually works like I know that he has mansplained everything in medicine under the sun to her <laughs> yes he uses the name Jonas Salk which is the man who quote-unquote cured polio by finding a vaccine for it I just thought it was very funny that he chose that name of all the names of famous um, figures in medicine because yes, he did, Jonas Salk did kind of create the vaccine that cured polio. It was basically a rivalry between him and another man um, who were both trying to find the vaccine. One of the guys um, 
who I'm forgetting his name now and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, um, was more well-respected and they thought that he was going to find it first and that he was, you know, he was just doing it to, you know, gain respect of his peers. Whereas Jonas Salk was like this young, like, go-getter and was also kind of an airhead with a huge ego. And so in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, this actually does really fit Martin <laughs> that he would pick that guy of all people yeah. I also love that they picked something vaccine-based at this particular time period. Mm, uh-huh. Yes, like, exactly. I feel like a little part of that was like, shout out to the people that make vaccines and are helping people. Because shout yeah. out to y'all and to the yeah. people that get them. <clears throat> exactly, yeah. I have my, I have my smallpox eradication <laughs> shirt from a respectable man who <laughs> created the smallpox vaccine, which is now eradicated, thank God. Um, we're almost there with polio. But yeah, I think yeah. that we forget how... I mean, I've seen post-polio patients a lot. I think we forget Uh how devastating of a disease that actually was. And so, you know, the fact that this guy found a vaccine, like it's huge, but also he was an airhead. And he was in the same way that Martin created that like special whatever technique or operation. Like, yeah, exactly. Did a very nice thing for humanity. Also kind of sucked. Like, perfect. On brand with Martin. Like huge douchebag. Yes. Mm-hmm. So at 21 even, we have another Malcolm and Danny chat um, in Gil's office, which <sighs> I know Jess, um, I don't know if Carrie, if she gave you anything about it, but I know Jess wanted us to mention like the symbolism of Danny sitting in Gil's chair um, and Malcolm yes. being the one like over in the the kind of quote regular guy chair over there. Uh-huh. Um, I love that because she's very much in this episode and in even kind of the previous episode, she's kind of taking a little bit of control here mm-hmm. and telling him like these things are not acceptable. I love every single word that comes out of this woman's mouth in this mm-hmm. entire discussion, yeah. including the joke about like I'm, I'm getting, getting him a coffee, coffee mug because he doesn't pay me enough. Pay me enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love it. I, I love that like there's this is an aggressive discussion with them probably one of the more aggressive discussions they've ever had with each other because she's just putting it all out there she's like listen you do get that taking a bullet for your father is the dumb assiness thing i have ever heard of in my entire Mm -hmm. life like you know you're not gonna do that i'm interested if that discussion is foreshadowing or not based on the ending um based on the fact that we know by the ending what's going on with martin and that Malcolm's mm-hmm. going to be looking for him. I am really intrigued if this is a, you know, you should not take a bullet for him. And he goes, oh yeah, I know that. And then cue later when maybe potentially he does that. Um, so I'm interested <laughs> for that. I'm interested maybe. in maybe it's a, okay, he won't do that for Martin in the future, but would he take a bullet for someone else? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I, I didn't name names. Y'all said it. I didn't. I didn't name yeah. names. I don't even know. <laughs> so I, I am really interested because that's a, that is kind of the way you would say something like that. Like, you know, he's not worth yes. it. Right. But I really think specifically saying, you know, taking a bullet for him is not worth it is a little bit like, hmm, are we mentioning this deliberately? And then it leads into the, I've never had a friend like you before. Again, yeah, I know. Just melt me into a puddle of absolute. No. Um, again, the Brightwell theme. Boom. As soon as he mm-hmm. says it. Mm-hmm. I've never yep. had a friend like you. Cue the little doo-doo. I'm like, here we go. We're back. Yep. Um, 
And I, again, I love that Danny just says for sure, like jury's still out. Like, yeah, a little part yeah. of her may be joking, but a little part of her is probably like, I really don't know yet, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, this is a struggle for me yep. <laughs> to yeah. deal with. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if Danny had any other person like Bright in her life, given her mentality and her personality, she'd be like, dude, I'm done. I can't yeah. mm-hmm. handle this. It's too much. But I personally think the fact that maybe there's some romantic feelings there is one of the things keeping her from just ditching him completely. Yep. Um, not because she's rude or evil, and I'm sure one of the Danny haters will jump on that and be like, see? Uh, but I, I really do think like she probably would not put up with as much if she didn't have maybe some type of, of budding emotional connection to him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, I love that she isn't that, like the female love interest who like just blindly follows him i love that she is still absolutely she has her own autonomy she has her own thoughts and she doesn't automatically agree with everything he does Mm -hmm. she doesn't think that everything he says is correct it's just one of those things that i feel like i am so used to as someone who has consumed so much media over the years i'm so used to the protagonist who just blindly follows her love interest that Mm -hmm. it's just really refreshing to see someone who can call especially people like him out on his bullshit and Uh i think that's part of where the danny hater squad comes from like they don't like that she's not just like oh gosh okay and then like does whatever he wants to do like (laughs) she shouldn't have to do that and i like i'm sure that bright being as intelligent as he is has not had a lot of people kind of stand up to him like that yeah question Uh his thought on something like the Gerald thing from the last episode whether Mm -hmm. she was right or wrong in her belief she still questioned and didn't just immediately go along with what he had to say Mm -hmm. and he needs that Uh he needs somebody to just be like listen you might not be right why do you assume you're the smartest in the room that attitude may be your at 2434 we have what's a pretty big reveal honestly I didn't necessarily see it coming Ainsley picks up the phone (sighs) I uh (sighs) I really have a question and I don't know this, but I'm really intrigued as to you have a phone that's evidence. There's only one number in the phone. Why would not your first thought be let's call it? Why does bright have to be the one that goes, well, let's just call it. (laughs) Well, we're going to track it down and waste 75 hours. (laughs) Just pick call. I get that again, for plot reasons, bright has to be the one to be there. So it can be like, I'll be honest, I was not, now the minute it rang and they showed us the basement, I knew. I was like, oh, yeah. here we go. But prior to that, I had no inkling of like, oh, what if Ainsley picks up the phone? You know, that was not where my brain was headed whatsoever. Yeah. And as soon as she picks up her badass techno-y theme, oh, Ugh, oh I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It makes me so happy. <laughs> um, so yeah essentially instead of dun 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 it's just her really cool theme where it's like Ainsley's here <laughs> and we realize she's been playing us she's been playing us hard she's been playing us like a fiddle mm-hmm. uh, I am still and even by the end of this episode we don't have 100% clarification I am really intrigued as to how much she knew um, like she claims that oh we just talked and had our little you know my girl father son discussions and there is a reason why she would then, we're learning why she would say dad as soon as the phone picks up. So it's not the first time he's called her, but I'm really intrigued as to if she knew. And again, based on that previous scene, is it really, are you okay? Is it, where's dad? Have they caught him yet? I, I really want to know if if she's kind of in that loop. I'm not saying she was like over there opening the door, letting people out, 
Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued as to if she knows and maybe knows where Martin is headed because I could absolutely see Martin being cryptic in a voicemail to Malcolm, but straight up telling Ainsley an address. Like, I'm going to send you a pen. Here's where I'll be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Yep. She's turned into a really good liar. And yes. so much so that Malcolm doesn't pick up on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he picked up a little bit with her and Gil, which you'll probably talk about that. But mm-hmm. she lying straight to his face and he's not getting it. Yeah. And being a profiler, like that's just him choosing to be blind to it because he's mm-hmm. so focused on, like we talked about being the protector and oh, my little sister. Like yeah. he is full on blind to the fact like he missed the thing with the pig's blood and the fact that she had already known about it the whole time and, and this and that, like he is absolutely blinded and he's not, you know, he's blinded by love in the familial sense um, that he's just missing every one of these cues. Like, dude, she, like, she's lost it. Yeah. Like she's, mm-hmm. She has officially gone off into Whitleyville. Like she is, you know, what's the accomplice of the surgeon? Like the, the physician's assistant. Like that's what her name will be when she becomes a psycho murderer. Uh, <laughs> At 2025, again, I love the call out of like the people always suspect Bright and I'm just like, oh, especially in situations relating to his father, like he should be a suspect. Uh-huh. Even if you feel for him in the back of your mind, this whole time, Danny and Gil and JT should all be checking. Does everything he say sound kosher? Is this all okay? Do we really think it's like that? Because at the end of the day, not that he would even consciously be an accomplice, he could like subconsciously miss things just like he's missing with Ainsley because he's not all there when it comes to like being focused when it comes to Martin stuff. Mm-hmm. I absolutely adore that Ainsley called herself working in the basement and it was reading daddy's murder journals. <laughs> that was her business she had to attend to in the basement. Like that, I mean, that really does say something truthfully. Now I know that that's like a lie to not tell them what she was really doing. But Mm -hmm. the fact that she says the phrase I was working and she's reading the like emotional kill by kill Uh accounts of her father, homegirl is an apprentice. Like she is in training at this point. And like the, I mean, there's a difference between being into true crime and being that into like, I want to be in the mind of that person and learn every single thing possible because he's my hero. Like the, there's a whole different mentality there. And I think she just keeps on slipping closer and closer to the edge of creep. Uh-huh. For a split second, I thought that this was going to be a callback to 204. The way she was sitting there looking through, because 204 is, is when she's flipping through the journal and you yep. first see her doing it. And so I went back and looked, she's in a different outfit. I was like, oh my God, if they're making this like the same moment, I'm going to lose it. Uh, So this is clearly sometime after that, she's kind of going through all these journals and reading them frequently while she's in the basement and eventually gets a phone call from Daddy Bear. At 2725, Gil has dad guilt for Ainsley. I I can't, I could not with that. I wanted to explode. That was like my... Like you guys were gonna cry at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> that was that was my point for me, where I was like, "Oh, this poor guy!" Like, <laughs> he has already done so much. Like, he's probably the sole reason why Malcolm Bright is alive at this yeah, point. Absolutely. I mean, Malcolm is already dealing with so many demons and having questionable issues going on when he was present in his life. That I could seriously see Malcolm having contemplated some really bad things and yeah, the past dealing definitely. with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then of course, just to immediately 
again, he's like full stepdad mode. He's talking to mom, like, oh, I should have done more for her, blah, blah, blah. Like you had a wife, your wife died mm -hmm. sometime during yeah. this point. Yeah. Like you were going through things and you're still feeling like so much guilt, like you weren't there enough for them. And it's just like the little emoji with the like, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At 2847, we get a nice glimpse into exactly the kind of father-daughter bonding we had going on at Claremont <laughs> between the two of them. Um, I love his call out where he's basically, he's saying like, you know, do you usually, you think you should feel things, but you don't. Um, and I love, he says, you know, you lack in compassion, high on charm, low on empathy. And then he pulls the Vim's beyond my genes, honeybee. Like he's <laughs> full on like, you're just love like that. daddy. You're yeah. on the old block, you, oh, know, or, you know, whatever. The little murder apple falling off the yeah. murder tree. Dad, but yeah, I, I mean, she really is like Martin 2.0. She's beta yeah. Martin at mm -hmm. this point. Yeah, yeah. love, so yeah. Go ahead, Caroline. <laughs> oh, no, no, you go, Carrie. You were going to say No, something. I was just going to say, I love that they um, switch back and forth between the scene of her and Malcolm interview and her scenes with Martin. Yeah. And mm -hmm. how that came into play. And um, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, Angie, but what, he, what Martin says to her is, pretend to feel when you don't mm -hmm. and cry every now and then. Mm -hmm. And... They cut to, psychopath 101. Uh, and then share she is with Malcolm. And I like she doesn't overplay the crying. Mm -hmm. It's subtle. It's wiping a little and bit. And there might not have even tear. been a tear, but she plays it like the oh, mm -hmm. oh yeah. Oh daddy, daddy's <laughs> caused me so much stress. Like Drew I mean, is playing it. Well, uh, Oscar goes to Ainsley Whitley. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And Malcolm, again, hook, line, and sinker, just like with Capshaw. Capshaw cries to him, and he's, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Daddy hurt you. I'm sorry, yep. you hurt me, too. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, my God, Ainsley, you know, Dad's effed with us all this time. And my other question here is, is Danny still watching this whole thing? There's uh, <laughs> 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 an awful lot of, like, I'm just like him, super cute, and the fact I stabbed a guy 150 times. No, you're not. It's okay. Like, is Danny there? Like, mm -hmm. she has to be. There's no way they're letting him full on interrogate her without no one watching. Yeah. There's no. no way. And if so, do you think she doesn't hear what you're saying, guys? Like, hello? Yeah. Yeah. So, I to, to sort of bounce off of Carrie and, and you too, Angie, I had two little points on this. Um, I went back to my, my source material throughout this whole season, <laughs> the Confessions of a Sociopath book, um, because wow. this... Uh, as I've mentioned before, this is written by a woman who identifies as a sociopath. She's, this is not her real name. She's anonymous. But she has a chapter where she talks about her childhood. And she has this, there is this sentence that scared the crap out of me. But after seeing this episode made a ton of sense. And she says, while others were learning to play kickball, I learned to play people. Mm. And that was just kind of like, I yep. remember reading this and having like the Anthony from Queer Eye meme where he's just like, <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> like as someone who's a total empath i was like jesus <laughs> um but like even just going back to the very beginning of this episode where she you know just the total youngest child youngest girl sibling fake cried that i uh -huh. just as an oldest child i'm like screw you for doing that <laughs> you did that just as the parent arrived <laughs> yeah yeah child. i see you got you i, I got you I, yeah mm -hmm. yeah so just from that to now where she's crying or not crying i still feel like the jury's out as to what 
where she fits on this spectrum. And I just, I want to let it play out as it is. But moments like these where I'm like, I, I don't like where this is going. Are you taking opportunity of the fact that you blacked out to fall into this narrative that Malcolm has sort of weaved for you as like, mm-hmm. originally like, uh-huh. he did this, not her, but he did it to protect the family. And now she's, I don't know, reinventing the wheel. But also, <laughs> yeah, they're in an, an interrogation room. I have watched so many interrogations as a true crime Mind fan. Mind Hunter much? Uh, Mind Hunter much? No, not even, not even Mind Hunter. I've watched like actual, like the, okay. I, I hate mentioning his name, but Chris Watts's interrogation, which is like five hours long. I've watched the whole thing because I wow. did not have a life at that time. Um, <laughs> even when you whisper, it is still very audible. Like Ainsley's whisper in that is still, you would be surprised at how good the sound is in that room. So mm-hmm. even if like Ainsley was just trying to like, you know, lean across the table, like little hush hush, like someone I prayed, it even says on the side of the wall and thank God it says it like this, you know, this thing is being recorded the whole time. Like mm-hmm. I would love to find out later if someone, if it was Danny, if GT happened to, you know, walk by the room with his cup of coffee and was like, oh, what are they talking about? Oh shit. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I, right? I, I would hope, I would hope that it wasn't like a perfect scenario. I hope that someone heard something and was just kind of like, hmm. So this whole apple picking story that happens and is kind of accidentally delivered. Again, I'm really curious on, is this planted by her and Martin? Or did Martin plant it and she was unbeknownst, get it, you know, causing this? Like, was she part of the plan the whole time? Knowingly. Or did she just lead them in that little direction by accident by falling mm. prey to something that Martin has done? It really could go either way at this mm-hmm. point. Um, I could see him totally having these moments to make her deliberately think of it later because he's that good of a puppet master. Yep. Um, or I could literally see her, you know, being daddy's little accomplice. Daddy should be out. He's the only person that can help me and help me deal with how I am and blah, blah, blah. And I, I could see both. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, at 3248, we are at the orchard in question. And I just adore, like, did your mommy know my serial killer daddy? <laughs> like, this is exactly how Malcolm just jumps up into it. Like, no questions, no easy. And again, Gil's like, wait, wait to ease into it, it dude. Yeah. Like, for God's sakes. Like, you bring this on yourself. Together, like, yeah. oh my God, I laugh so hard. Like, it's just, and I, Okay, so Lou Diamond Phillips has mastered the art of Gil reacting to Malcolm's stupidity. Mm-hmm. Like the different faces, and this was just like, for God's sake. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> we went over this in the car, you know, like. <laughs> such a great job with the dad glare of just like this motherfucker. <laughs> okay, I have a quick question. No lie. Please correct me if you have an answer. How in the blue hell did that plane get in the barn? How? There is no door big enough. There's a thousand posts around it. Did they build the barn around the plane? I have I have a two-word answer. Plot convenience. Thank you. Movie <laughs> logic. Yes, movie logic. Exactly. There is no, I, like, even the barn doors that open are not, like, that wide. They don't go through the whole side of the barn. They start, mm-hmm. like, in the middle and are tiny. So I'm like, I mean, I'm not a pilot i don't know maybe you really can maneuver it and tetris it into a barn like that but like there's like a post on one side of the wing a post on the back a post by the tail 
I'm like, how? How in God's name did you get this thing in here? Or did you build it inside so the barn? Funny. Which leads us into our, our another moment at 3540 where we have the return of the Batman action figure, the reprise of Mad World. Um, so go, Carrie. What do you got? Tell us about it. Uh, well, I love, okay. So he's sitting in this plane and he's looking around. Of course, he finds a secret compartment because he's Malcolm. <laughs> and and you know and it is a, a duffel bag and you know basically it's just you know martin had set this up at some point for an emergency you know if he had to grab his kids and, and run away so you see cash in there makes sense you see passports you see three passports i thought that was interesting mm. so i'm assuming martin and his two kids you know jessica <laughs> This was this was years ago when he <laughs> very solid collateral damage. No, I'm taking the kids and leaving. I'm going. And I love that Malcolm finds this Batman in there because it, you know if now we're going back to this beginning scene and with the whole setup with you know that was something that Martin given him as a child and uh, one first of all his reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, I'm, I have to not cry <laughs> talking about no, this. No, do it. We got told we have to cry during this podcast. <laughs> oh, we were told we had to. Well, I'm yeah, still trying not like, to. If you don't cry, I'm coming for you. So please cry. We need because to get attacked. He, you know, he's, he's in full profiler mode, you know, professional mode. And as soon as he sees that, he just, it, there's the 10-year-old again. Mm-hmm. And um, for a couple of reasons. You know, we have that reaction when we see something from our childhood, anything. Mm-hmm oh, that was my little, you know, whatever it was, and then the memories. But I think the more important thing is that Martin put that there for him and that he's thinking, here's a bag full of basically practical things to go on the run. And he thought to put that in there for Malcolm. And it just hits him because he he spends so much of his time thinking you know of you know his father's a psychopath or a sociopath or whatever and he mm-hmm. doesn't care about him and he's a narcissist blah 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 and here's a little bit of evidence that he he cares and that hits malcolm every time yeah you know and it hits him hard because there's always that little 10 year old that wants him to care and that it, okay i'm gonna lose <laughs> i'm already losing it it's um, okay go with it but I mean, and you guys can certainly, you know, comment whatever you want on that scene. But, um, you know, he, Gil asks him, you know, what is that? And, you know, he's, uh, you know, it's nothing. But, you know, that's exactly what's going through his head is he put that in there. You know, it's this tiny duffel that's in a, a little space, but he made room for that. And there's a really deep meaning behind that. At least there is to Malcolm, basically. Mm-hmm. I really think to play off that, like he's kind of learning very much that, he even says to Ainsley, like something like you're the the child he always wished for or something mm-hmm. like that. So he went from, you know, thinking he was like the apple of his father's eye to having that entire world crushed that his father was not who he thought he was to then having an absent father and no father figure at all other than Gil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now he kind of got a chance to come back and all season one, my boy, my boy, my boy, like, even though it's not the greatest attention in the world it's still that respect and attention from the father that he wanted but then the end of season one happened and it became "Ooh, but Ainsley's over here okay let's let's look to Ainsley and so he has multiple times kind of lost that 
I'm my father's son and he loves mm -hmm. me and he wants to be with me. It's kind of lost multiple times at different levels. And this episode really hits on him struggling to separate the surgeon and Martin. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard for him to do. Um, and I just, I love that like the, for the remainder of this episode until we get to the reveal of who the target was, like it's very much him trying to grapple with the fact that my father might not be here much mm -hmm. longer. Yeah. He knows the statistics on fugitives. He knows mm -hmm. that his father will do something stupid um, that would not give him any leeway in terms of, you know, talking himself out of a situation. And I think, you know, any serial killer's child, especially one that got to spend a decade thinking your father was just a regular old dad, mm -hmm. I think there's always a part of them, just like if it's a parent of one, like you're always going to love them. Mm -hmm. you cannot take that away yeah. in some weird way that love is always going to be there and so that small percentage of him in these scenes and the scenes to come are very much like i'm not ready to lose him yet i'm not ready mm -hmm. to lose my dad and he plays it it's amazing that a almost 40 year old man can manage to look like a preteen in his face mm -hmm. like he plays those innocent emotions and the need and the want so well that it just like you said it just crushes your heart and also this is the second music cue for mad world yeah he pulls mm -hmm. that figurine out this is the second time now that we hear the song the thing is, is even notes. without the lyrics that piano uh, the melody yeah. tells you everything you need to know about the scene now the mm -hmm. lyrics work great as well but mm -hmm. Like we said before, like pianos are typically, they're very ballad inducing. And nine times out of 10, it's either romantic or it's tragic. And in this case, that song, you know from the first three to four notes that this is a tragic ballad. Like, you mm -hmm. know. And it just, there's something about the simplicity of it too. Like you can have music cues like we had from last week with Sim Farah mm -hmm. and it's epic. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh yes. shit. And you're yes. going yes. and it's yes. crazy. Yeah. And then you can have this, that it's literally piano notes. Mm -hmm. I mean that that's literally the extent of this music and it just sucks you in and you're yeah. just like oh mm -hmm. and it hits mm -hmm. and I'll I'll touch on the next cue in a minute because I have like a paragraph about that <laughs> but <laughs> uh, we'll get to that when we get there mm -hmm. um so to switch out of kind of a melancholy zone, we're going to go <laughs> around for just a minute. Because it was, that was a very deep and like emotional oh, scene for all of us. Yeah, like we were all like, eh, in Discord. Mm -hmm. um, at 37.30, I just want to know, was Hector just standing like this away from every window in the house as they stood <laughs> blatantly in the middle of the yard? Like, I'm sorry, if I was a fugitive and I had a family had hostage, every movie you ever see, what do they do? Gun to the blinds? Yep. They check constantly. I mean, Dang. it's a stereotypical move of like, let me use the gun to flip the blinds open and see what happens. <laughs> so did Hector just completely ignore the fact that maybe I should check the windows occasionally? And they're all just standing out there getting a little bitch shit <laughs> on each other. Like, hey guys, we're out here. The marshals mm -hmm. are in your yard, like really loud. I'm like, what is happening, folks? There's a dude in there. What is going on? Anyway, rant, I'm done. Um, now to go back to super melancholy and depressing. Mm. Um, at 3849, Malcolm says the line, they're going to kill him. Uh, and uh. The way it, again, the way it's delivered, it's baby Malcolm. You know, it's little, little Malcolm. And I adore how the writers 
allow Malcolm to literally like be broken in this moment that he might lose his father. Mm -hmm. Because like we said before, it's raw, it's real, it's legitimately like the children of these people are allowed to feel conflicted. Yeah. They're allowed to simultaneously love and hate someone more than anyone else in this world, in my opinion. Like they are given that permission. Yeah. Um, like, and it's, I, I can't like, that's the moment for me that gets me, Carrie. That and mm-hmm. then the music cue that comes up next. And uh-huh. like his just absolute, like this is it. And he's holding yep. like his little talisman, you know, the little Batman, like trying to be yeah. like, yeah, no. And it's just, it hits, it hits really hard. And then immediately following, we have that, you know, shots have been fired, target on the ground, who is it? And one of the, I want to hit something technical first before I hit the feels part. Uh-huh. Um, the the piano key, the piano cue for um, Mad World plays again after he's like, who is it? And then he starts to run. I love the editing choice that they chose to put the run in slow-mo, but uh-huh. you hear the piano and their footsteps. Those are the two things you hear. So it's not just music over the slow-mo. You hear Malcolm's feet sprinting and you you hear Gil like kind of slowly catching up behind him. Mm -hmm. There is something, especially in like headphones or earbuds, I heard that and I got like chills. There was something about that combo that I was like, oh my gosh. And then again, the piano's playing, Malcolm is frantically trying to find his dad. And at that point, that's really the first time in a long, long time for this show that like I shed tears. Mm. I love the show and it gets me in the feels later when I talk about it, like we are, but very rarely during the episode do I frequently like actively cry while it's happening because I'm so in the zone about like, I can't miss anything. And I'm like paying attention. <laughs> but the, I, it's the music thing. Music cues hit me harder. Yep. And when that uh-huh. was going on, like I, I knew in the back of my head, this is not Martin. I knew it's not going to be Martin. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. But watching Tom be that frantic little boy searching for his dad and that music playing and everything, it just hit me. And I was full on like, Jesus, like trying to watch and see what happens Mm -hmm. through like clouded eyes. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was such a perfect song choice. Like I cannot, season 10, Gabe Hilfer, it was amazing. I don't know if the writer came up with it. If it was the two writers, you guys kick butt. If it was one of our two music supervisors, oh my God, like whoever came up with that decision, just prime, absolute prime music cue. Um, so at 39.59, we get official confirmation. Our target down is indeed Hector. Much to Ricky's delight, he is not dead. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, and we learn that like Martin was never with them, man. He didn't even get Uh to the ambulance with us. Like this was all part of Martin's plan. And so Malcolm goes from this epically terrified little boy, is my daddy dead, blah, 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 to realizing you got played. Uh He knew you were gonna feel that way. He expected you to go through those emotions. Was the Batman now planted to make him feel that way? Or was it really him being all emotional and adorable? And when was the Batman even put in there? God damn, Martin. God like, damn it. You know what I mean? So like, right. there's so many questions now. And the devastation that is written across Tom's face is mm-hmm. just masterful acting. Yeah. Like his like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel like that would have been the same face he made if he found Martin dead on the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he is that broken like 
fucker did it again. Like yeah. I mm-hmm. fell hook, line, and sinker for it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like a switch, I think, for Malcolm. I don't yeah. think that at any point in the series he's gonna be like, kill him, and he's like ready <laughs> for him to yeah. be gone. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the next two episodes might prove me wrong, but I don't know that he will drop his guard like that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he will maybe try to save his father and to keep him mm-hmm. from getting hurt and all that other stuff, but he will never revert back to 10 year old Malcolm in the name of trying to save his father or allowing his feelings to get in the way of justice. Yeah. I don't think mm-hmm. that will ever happen for him again. That switch has been flipped yeah. and fool me once, fool me twice. You know, like mm-hmm. he's at the fool me twice point and now Absolutely. It's, it's time. It's time. Yeah. Right before uh, he goes into the house, Daddy Gill. I mean, just full on, you know, uh, standing up for him and protecting him. And and one of the thoughts I had was, you know, as he was running towards the house and Gil was running after him, I'm like, I get that you're worried you're going to use your father, but you already have a father. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is your dad. I mean, he's your dad in every way that you would want a dad to be. Mm-hmm. And he's right there. He's right behind yes. you. You know, around um, and run to him. Run to him. <laughs> you're running the wrong right. You're running in the wrong direction, and that's what I was thinking. One of the things. Well, I, was I really thinking. hope we get that scene at some point. It's been in so many different fanfics, but like we really need the like where he calls him dad, and I yeah. will just melt into a pile of mush and <laughs> yeah. the best thing mm-hmm. ever. My bones can just liquefy. Um, so at 4046, we have Gil calling Jess like, look, we didn't catch him. And I'm not kidding you. I thought for sure Martin was going to walk up behind her. Yeah. Like in, yeah. My head, in my head, now that he yep. wasn't caught, I was like, mm-hmm. well, where the work is he? We heard in, in like um, promos for the next episodes, like NYPD is looking for one of their own. Well, Jess could be one of their own. She's in the family. What are we going to do? Yep. And I went, oh my God, he's going to take Jess. I never saw it coming. And then thankfully that was not, that was mm-hmm. very quickly shut down in my overactive brain. <laughs> so that was exciting. Um, at 4211, Malcolm, like we said, he goes back to, she, to see Capshaw. Um, he's nowhere near Martin's cell. Like he's deliberately trying to go see Capshaw to tell her like, listen, we have not caught him. Mm-hmm. Um, again, trying to be as objective as possible in this scene, knowing what we know. Um, but this line hits harder when you know the ending, that I believe in karma, someday your father mm-hmm. will get what's coming to him. Oh, snap. <laughs> like, knowing what we know now. And we learn at the end, like, you know, we thought Ainsley played us. Capshaw was the absolute <laughs> director of this play. <laughs> like, you know, Ainsley was but an actor. Capshaw was the master of all of them. Um, So, like, again, so here are my questions I listed. This is all, I I don't even have comments, I just have questions. I have so many questions. Was she playing Martin from the get-go? Like, from day one, because we joked at the very beginning, like, is she some kind of serial killer, like, fangirl? Does she, like, Uh so was she trying to get his affection and thought she had it and then decided to you know fight back now that he screwed her over or you know did he murder someone that she knew and this Mm -hmm. is all revenge for like i'm coming for you son or is she just cuckoo for cocoa puffs and really thought they were in love and now she wants to get back at him i have no idea Mm -hmm. i still want to know how he ended up in the trunk so i have multiple questions i voiced this yesterday last we saw Capshaw he had hit the emergency lock button on the outside of that room that means she is not getting out until someone from the outside opens it Mm -hmm. sorry Capshaw you're not first priority when there's a jailbreak 
okay? <laughs> like all of our guys should be running for the exits and trying to locate all the prisoners and get them where they need to be to be locked down. She is not first priority. If she's locked in there, ain't nobody getting out. So it's yeah. not a big deal. I want to know how from the time she got locked in there to whenever Martin ended up in her trunk. <laughs> like that to me makes me feel like it's willing. Like he waited around for her and maybe this was all part of the plan. Maybe the whole, no, don't do it. I believed you was just a plan for the people in the room. Mm-hmm. And maybe the plan was we're going to sneak away together. And then based on the preview, she maybe twists that plan once they're out of their uh, mm-hmm. out and safe. Um, if not, I, I just, I find it hard to believe that she, she somehow got out of there, made it to the parking lot unseen in the middle of a lockdown and then subdued him and got him in her trunk. Like I, that's a sketchy plot line for me. I'm not sure how that feels. Hopefully we'll get an explanation. Maybe we will. They'll do a little flashback to show what mm-hmm. happened. I don't know. Uh, I feel like they have to at this point because mm-hmm. yeah, cause uh, there's a lot of cloudiness there. A yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end, we do see at the end of the at the point that they escaped in the last episode, we do see, you know, Hector and Friar Pete like went out in front of Martin and then mm-hmm. Martin, you know, we get the scene where he's like, oh, my, thank God. So I don't know if maybe he was like, oh, wait, guys, I forgot my favorite sketchbook and ran back in. And that was when she was like, listen, bitch, <laughs> like, I wanna, I am secretly hoping that this girl, like Amy dunned herself out of the locked room and like just, <laughs> like totally like she pulled the jets and just tried to elbow the metal door a couple times yep yep but like she's tough you know she's she's built to something different so she busted her way out of there and she was like syringe like she does the superhero down. jump out of the window and lands on one knee and it's like yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> just it's shoots him with hell doll and yep oh my god <laughs> i also just like thinking about it she drives a mercedes as i'm pretty sure she does based on what i've seen of mercedes like the little sedans like what she has those trunks are very very small mm-hmm. um how did he fit in that I, here's I'm, my other question that is a newer model yep mm-hmm. any car from 2000 on has the trunk pop oh any car from 2000 uh-huh. on at least go go sis okay okay so <laughs> glad that you mentioned that because um and I hate to totally bring us down all the way back again, but yes, there is that like emergency escape latch and you can, you can also punch through um, the, you could, you could, yeah, you can punch through the lights. Um, however, if anyone remembers the case of Jamie Kloss, the uh, young teenage girl who went missing a couple of years ago, um, who was kidnapped, oh, yeah. he, her captor thought of that and removed the safety latch like for the trunk and made it so that she could not pop the window out. So there is a way to actually prevent that from happening. It is so possible. It is, yeah, possible and absolutely diabolical, which I think also plays into her character. If she got him into that trunk and thought out all of those things, that was- Right, so yeah, if she went that far, that's like- like, that was premeditated. That was not opportunistic, If not, period. that pretty much tells us that Martin is, agree- is agreeing to be in that trunk. Mm-hmm. And when he yep. heard her open the door, he's like, "Sup, boo!" Like that yep. was the knock. Like, hey, <laughs> let's go to our cabin in the woods. You know, mm-hmm. like let's, yep. let's have that happen. So mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested. Like, there's a lot of unclear things about how he got in there, whether it was willing or not. So hopefully, we'll get some clarification yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's it. Like she kind of sexily caresses the trunk, which is a little creepy. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, oh god, yeah, it's definitely creepy. And Mercedes is like, don't touch me. I know where you've been. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then we have to hit the preview. I mean, we oh cannot. my god. <laughs> so I broke down every little moment in the preview. Of course you did. Because I'm not gonna focus on the one thing that my brain's going. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> okay. So first of all. Um, we have, we've seen behind the scenes photos of this, Capshaw getting pulled over in a wooded area. Mm-hmm. So is she going to f- pull like a full Dahmer and have stuff in the back of her seat and the trunk and the, just charm her way out of it with the cop the whole time? Um, I'm intrigued. Is, is it like a, a she got pulled over for a ticket, like she was speeding? Or is it like we're looking for Martin and we know that mm-hmm. you're associated with yeah. him? So the, the whole nature of that being pulled over is very interesting. We also know that at that point, she's in a very wooded area. We know because of some of our own web sleuthing behind the scenes um, stuff that they the, the last couple episodes end up very much in the woods. There's a lot of stuff like blood drops that, that crew members have shown on the ground in the woods and all that. So um, we know we're headed there and it looks as though she's already there. So we, then we have a scene where Martin is like in a chair in a suit, very dressed up and she uh-huh. is behind him like, hey, honey, what are we doing? But he Welcome does not home. look normal in that scene. No, no he so doesn't. He looks chemically subdued for mm-hmm. sure. Like, I don't know if he's paralyzed sitting there or what, but like eyes are this big and nothing is moving. Mm-hmm. It tells me, is she using his own methods against him? Because he oh. used to paralyze his victims. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for killing them and is that what is later in the syringes yes. that we see toward the end of the preview mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um as caroline said in synopses for future episodes they mentioned this woodsman killer mm-hmm. um and that it helps them find a missing member of their own for the team mm-hmm. very cryptic and who does mm-hmm. that mean so we have talked, like, is the woodsman supposed to be Capshaw? Do we find out that she's actually been this creepy, like, wooded murderer chick? Or is there another um, person that's maybe familiar with the area or can give them insight as to where they might be? We have Malcolm running through a storage unit, like, mm-hmm. at top speed. So I'm mm-hmm. really intrigued as to, is he running from something? And is, is he running towards something or someone? Mm-hmm. Um there's potential that maybe it could be Danny based on another scene. Uh, I'm not sure because things can be edited very sketchily and, yes. and be very uh-huh. tricky. Um, which leads us to a brief <laughs> flash, albeit glorious. We have a real life non, you know, coma dream Brightwell kiss coming. I don't know if it's next episode or the final episode, but I'm thinking finale. Madre. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking mm-hmm. it's probably it's got to be finale. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I just, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make cooing noises. We're like, we're like, we're holding back um, a bit. <laughs> I have talked, um, and I won't say this yet because I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, I'll talk about when we get there. But I do have like multiple kind of different head cannons about like, how does that go? What's the conversation like mm-hmm. before it happens? We know in the edited trailer, at some point he says to her, we're running out of time. We don't know if that's the thing he says right before he kisses her, if it's mm-hmm. before or after a completely uh-huh. different part and they edit it over that footage. Editors can be very sneaky, Britt. Yes. Uh-huh. We know how that goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll see. But long story short, we're getting a Brightwell quit. Quit. A Brightwell quit. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Oh, my God. Yep. Afterward, we see Malcolm going full bore hard ass on the uh, cell at Claremont. Yeah. Throwing bookshelves over. He is. And that, to me, doesn't look like, like sad, angry. Like, he looks mad. Yeah. Like, probably mm-hmm. the most fairly angry 
I've ever seen, yeah. which is my one remaining shred of does something happen to Danny? I know. Because the only thing I could oh see God. him getting that mad over is not being able to find her. Mm-hmm. I think now based on what we see in the rest of this preview and based on that I think this one of their own they're looking for is probably Malcolm. Um, my That's where I'm leaning. Um, but that what what's going to make Malcolm that mad? Because he has gone through a mm-hmm. lot of seasons and never exhibited that kind of rage before, ever. Yeah. And love can make you do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have the line, we are running out of time, which they kind of superimpose along with images of Capshaw and what she's doing. She says the phrase at the end, time's up. So they use yep. like a little time theme right there. Mm-hmm. Um, homegirl goes full Kathy Bates in misery from what mm-hmm. I can see and as we said before mm-hmm. I will absolutely vomit in my chair if she puts a freaking board between his legs and starts hammering the ankles I can't I will absolutely lose my crap and I will just like mute my mic and my stuff and close my ears next episode for the podcast if it happens y'all are gonna handle it I can't do it I can't do it look at Carol I know, like, me, this is me. my business <laughs> Me, me and Caroline are like, yes, yes. <laughs> full, full on, force, full force misery. <laughs> so like we said, we are, we're definitely hitting some of these classic horror tropes, the, the yeah. rear window, the misery, and, and I love oh, it. I mean, bring it on. Oh, I, will, I will vomit for sure, but <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. And I am intrigued now um, about who is in peril at the end. So I have a quote mm-hmm. from Aurora in a minute that, I, that will make a little bit more sense for this, but based on that we see uh, Martin kind of doing that, like he's being tortured in bed, whatever. Um, It leads into this quote from an interview with Aurora, who is Danny. So the interviewer says, before I let you go, your colleagues have been teasing how insane the finale is. What was your reaction? And so this is what she replies. (laughs) My reaction was I read it and then I screenshotted it. And then I sent it to, I think Frank. And I said something like, do you think this is real? And he said, I think so. And she said, I'm gonna call Sam, Flavor, one of the show creators. So then I called Sam and was like, dude, are we doing this? And he's like, yeah, we're doing this. And I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. And I was very surprised. <laughs> so whatever it is, it's enough that the cast members are going, oh my God. Yep. So my prediction at this point is no longer that it's Danny. That would be in peril. I know we thought once we were maybe going down Brightwell Avenue that that might be a thing. The only two people I think that would shock the cast this much is Martin or Malcolm. Mm. I think, in my opinion, they're going to do something pretty severe to either Martin or Malcolm, or they're going to have Martin and Malcolm run together. They're going to be gone. Those are the only things I can think of that would cause Aurora to picture it, text Frank, and go, ah! <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if it was her, she wouldn't be saying that in an interview. Like, right? She's not yeah. going to be like, oh my God, yeah, that's so that's crazy. True. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm yeah. very intrigued as to if that's I know. where that heads. And after everything the show has done to shock the cast is, oh my God. Seriously, right. Where, so like they have to be expecting a level of insanity at this point. Mm-hmm. Some of the things they do, like I think Tom keeps saying it's like bombastic and bonkers and like all the stuff <laughs> they do is so crazy. For her to like immediately text a fellow cast member and be like, this is a fake page, right? Like this isn't the real final page, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, dude, I think it's real. She's like, what? You know, like everything starts blowing up. Um, so yeah, so are we going to get, is someone dead or severely injured cliffhanger? Are we going to get Malcolm takes a bullet for somebody cliffhanger? 
Is it a cliffhanger at all? When are we getting news about a damn renewal? Mm-hmm. Real question. Yeah, hello. And then my very last line on this entire write-up is, I need a drink. That's why I wrote <laughs> <laughs> This is water, folks. This is water, and it ain't uh, enough to sustain the problems going on in my prison. Pri- my prison. My It is my prison. My prodigal son brain is sometimes a prison. Uh, uh, oh, my God. As happy as I am to be here with you guys, and I, I am, I'm so happy I'm not doing the last two <laughs> because that's going to kill me. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Jess, come back. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't emotionally so, I mean, handle I'm the last much, Like I live, you guys know, and everyone in the world, if they've ever heard of me, knows, like I live for the womp. I live for the emotional <laughs> angst. I live for the physical stuff. Let's go. But like, I'm still nervous about it. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. I want an epic cliffhanger, especially at least, I don't know if it would be better to know if we've been renewed or not before the finale or after. Like I, I can't tell I which know. one I want. Mm-hmm. And the upfronts are before the finale. So oh. If they announce around the Fox upfronts, we will know before. I'm still not sure how I feel about it. If that makes it better or worse, at least if it's a cliffhanger, it would make it better that we've been renewed and I will know like, okay, I will see a resolution of this. But if it's not, I don't even want to speak it into existence. And then we get a cliffhanger. I'm g- Again, I'm going to vomit. That's just going to be my phrase. Yeah. I'm going to vomit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. going to be the worst possible scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm still holding out hope. I, I really feel like the way that the Fox accounts are trolling is that that's the best news i've heard in weeks in terms of renewal because they're saying things like like it while it lasts hope you enjoyed it you know who knows how Mm -hmm. long this will be and i don't think if they knew they were getting canceled they would say that stuff yeah super douchey to be Mm -hmm. like you know you're canceled and be like love it while it lasts suckers it's your last one like (laughs) that's kind of horrible so that gives me a little bit of hope that they either just don't have a, a a response yet that they don't know for sure or that they know they're being renewed and they're just being trolls and breaking all of our hearts on a daily basis. <laughs> so that's like my, my, I'm actually refreshed a little bit today and in, in days past, I've been a little bit down about like, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this might not yeah. look so great. That yeah. has actually lifted my spirits of like, if they know when they're doing this, that is the douchiest thing possible to do to a fan. Hold on hope guys. Keep, keep, yep. you know, your renewed mm-hmm. prodigal son up. There's a, there's a change.org position out now, petition mm-hmm. out now you can sign. I mean, bug the piss out of them. At least make them angry if they're not going to renew. Let's, yeah. let's make their lives miserable if they're going to make mm-hmm. ours that way. Absolutely. Yeah. But I really am. So at this point, I'm still, te- I'm still on the optimistic side of the scale. I, I don't think it's game over. I don't think, you know, pack your bags. I think we have a decent chance at renewal. And if not, I think I have a decent chance of potentially getting picked up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of having all these other services around. Um, and it all depends on the actors, you know, is Tom ready to take a break where he's been a lead in psycho times. He went from nothing on, pro- on uh, The Walking Dead to realizing, oh my God, I have no time for anything. Maybe <laughs> I do want a break. Hopefully he doesn't. And hopefully he wants his career to flourish and continue and stay with us. Please don't come. But we'll have to see. All we can do is keep trying to push and be, you know, doing our thing in the fandom and mm-hmm. do the best that we yep. can. And then, you know, say a couple prayers to the prodigal son gods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As Malcolm said in season one, all we can do is wait and hope. Oh, wow. What a great closeout. <laughs> On that note. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Toodles. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.